0: i am jeremy dean qc i have been practicing as a criminal defense barrister since 1983. this series of podcasts spotlights the criminal justice process a cornerstone of our free and democratic society i will also be looking at the effects of coronavirus upon the criminal justice system i will be speaking to prisoners prisoners relatives campaigners lawyers and others together we will take a global look at the criminal justice process under the scourge of coronavirus and generally. This is Criminal Justice on Trial. Welcome to Criminal Justice on Trial. I'm very pleased today to welcome as my guest, Farah, who is much involved with The View magazine. And before we learn a little about Farah herself, Farah, could you tell us, um, in outline, about The View?
1: Hi, Jeremy. It started as an idea for a prison magazine, so I was recalled HMP Downview, and we asked the governor if we could make a prison magazine, because there wasn't one, and she said, yes, that's a great idea, let's do that. So, a bunch of us collected lots of art, lots of amazing poetry, and um, the issues that are covered in the magazine, you know, mental health, recall, um, the relationship between officers and prisoners, and we presented it to her, and unfortunately she didn't get the glossy uh, brochure for HMP Downview that she was expecting, I imagine. And so she banned it. Um, she said, no, no, that's that's not what I wanted at all. They tried to set up a new magazine committee, but that didn't really happen. Um, so when I was released from my unlawful recall, I asked Sarah Watson, who's a friend in a prison loss lister, um, who'd seen a copy of the magazine to help me to relaunch it in the community. And my friend Claire, who's been in publishing for, I don't know, as long as I can remember her, um, and together with other women who've got experience of the criminal justice system, whether inside, prison or outside, um, we launched the first issue in March. And the content is very much what was in that initial um, prison magazine um, that, that you've seen.
0: So The, the View started life um, within the walls of Downview Prison. Is, is it now a magazine which is exclusively contributed to by prisoners housed at Downview Prison?
1: No, so we've got content from women all over the prison estate and also women who are on licence in the community. Um, They all get paid £50 for whatever contribution that we publish which is great because that's if you consider Jeremy the discharge grant is only 47 pounds 50 and they can actually collect another 50 quid for every contribution once they're released you know it makes a little bit of a difference and helps towards them getting resettled but the issue that you're looking at has content from eight out of the 12 women's prisons so it's, it's quite broad and now it is getting into um your colleague, actually, Courtney Griffith, has been incredibly helpful. Um, he's another barrister at 25 Bedford, R- Bedford Row and has been incredibly helpful in helping us getting it into the prison system, because initially, again, there was some resistance. But Courtney wrote a couple of letters in his own inimitable style. And um, the, the magazine is actually getting through to the women and their families. You can buy it in newsagents or by subscription. Right.
0: Can we just go back? slightly obviously you're you're, you're speaking very very eloquently um, and uh, cogently about this magazine and the journey that it's had you yourself um, were a prisoner at Downview Prisoners is is that correct
1: yeah so I have a long and interesting history with the criminal justice system um, I have um, a mental health diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder from a very traumatic early childhood and while I don't make excuses you know for my life I have to say that that um, diagnosis had it been understood better by the judiciary by some of the people that were meant to be helping me um, maybe my my life wouldn't have gone you know the way that it did but you know on the other hand I have to look at the contribution that the view is making it's had so much support not just Um, you know from the families of prisoners who it's really for as a sort of a a tool to help their loved ones get through prison sentences and and proper advice you know law firms can only advertise by invitation we're not just taking advertising from any or whatever they have to be referred by someone who's actually used a service Um, you know it's it's an important tool so I, I have to see it as this is what my life took me to bring me to where I am now which is a way to kind of make sense but if you consider, Jeremy, that 80% of women in prison have two or more diagnosed mental health issues, and over 54% have been victims of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse, and this is by Lord Farmer's report, um, which he was asked to do by Theresa May. In um, it, it was published in in July 2018, and he makes you know specific recommendations about how to treat vulnerable women in prison. And in fact. We're not doing that, we're just locking them up. So, so you're right, I, you know, I'm eloquent. I've had fantastic privileges in my life. I've had a brilliant education, so I have a platform. But most of the women in prison have low IQs, don't have um, brilliant educations, and, you know, don't have such a platform. So I want the view to develop, to become the voice of these women, and creativity is a means to express that. How
0: effectively do you feel the prison system deals with women in prison
1: can i be really honest
0: yeah of course Uh, that's exactly what what i want you to be
1: well i i think i think prison for women is state endorsed re-traumatization um re-victimization and actually creates you know intergenerational and lifetime problems that then we as the community and society have to deal with you know the prison service is on and on at the moment about this trauma informed this and and these enabling environments prison is a coercive penal institution there's nothing enabling or trauma informed about it and while i believe that most prison officers go into the service you know, with the best of intentions, they want to rehabilitate, they want to reform. The system is such that it grinds out of them those good intentions, because if they dare to sort of try and bring something innovative to the fore, you know, it's crushed out of them because management says no, or it'll cost £50 extra or whatever. So I believe um, there's research that shows that maybe only 10% of women who are in prison at the moment, so at the moment we've got about 3,200 women, in prison, maybe ten percent. So that's three hundred and twenty women. That's one prison of women need to actually be incarcerated. The rest of them could be managed safely and holistically in the community with the right mental health and other support. So, so
0: those that those that should be in prison, those hmm. women, those women you feel based upon your um, experience and perception of prison life, who ought to be in prison, are they what might be described as dangerous offenders?
1: You know, Jeremy, this word dangerous is actually very dangerous. Um, The the prison service uses matrices and indexes that are 20 years out of date to assess danger and assess risk in prisoners. If you look at what America is using, and they are about, in, in spite of mass incarceration in America and, you know, ridiculous numbers of people being locked up, when it comes to their assessment, when it comes to their forensic psychology, they are light years ahead. Um, so a woman in America, who is in a similar position as a woman in Britain, will get properly assessed. And if you look at the outcomes of the risk assessment, it'll be very, very different. Here we are, we assess risk based on personality um, rather than based on actual, you know, clinical investigation. So I am deemed high risk, really, really high risk, by the prison service because, and I've never ever committed a violent offence in my life. Um, and and yet, it's only because I dare to ask the questions, I challenge the system, I put in endless complaints, I will complain to MPs and whoever I need to in order to see change or get an outcome for my situation. That's considered dangerous. That's not dangerous, that's intelligent. So I think this issue of dangerousness is a difficult one. But as far as the women that need to stay in prison, I think it's the ones who have, um, probably horrific histories themselves but haven't been given the psychological tools or the insight to be able to deal with life on the outside and actually what we need to do with those is not just throw away the key but offer you know a full forensic examination of why they're behaving the way that they are and then rehabilitation because there's no rehabilitation happening in the forensic estate at the moment
0: all right well the 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 women who you say you feel perhaps ought to remain in prison and how do they manifest the fact that they are people who are best incarcerated? I mean, are you basing that assessment on, you know, violent, aggressive, threatening behaviour in prison or, or how, Yes.
1: How, yes. And, and also index offence. Obviously, um, there are some things that are very hard to fathom, like sex, sexual offences, particularly against children. Um, you know, murder, stuff like that. But, but even so, you know, we have to retain that person's dignity as a human while we're trying to rehabilitate her. So while she may need to be in prison, we, we have to say, yes, you've committed awful offences, but you are not the sum total of, of all of that. You know, you are a human being capable of being rehabilitated. So it is the way that they behave, self-harm, suicide attempts, aggression, anger, outbursts. But also i think we need to look at the really really serious index offenses as well
0: right and 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 generally speaking in terms of the way women are dealt with in prison I mean, the undercurrent of what you're telling us so far is that you feel that that you know there's little scope for rehabilitation that women are badly treated inhumanely inappropriately treated is is that is that what you're saying
1: i think you've summed it up really well i mean you know, there's there's um, loads of anecdotal stories. I'm sure you'll have really interesting ones as well of where a, a woman has been before a judge and has been sentenced more harshly than a man in the same position would have been because we hold women up to this greater threshold of you know goodness or kindness and when a judge is looking at her without a full battery of reports and i don't mean the two-hour pre-sensing report that some forensic you know dude has done in a visits room or whatever i need a full forensic you know a, a, a whole kind of a bundle of tests around iq around you know the way that she socializes around who she is around her family character references all the rest of it so when a judge is just looking at a woman who's done something dreadful in his eyes or whatever um, we need to start to humanise that woman and make her a whole person. So she's. we need to also look at that intersection where women who commit crime have been the victims of crime. So how the criminal justice system is dealing with women in that really kind of fragile and vulnerable space where, you know, you've been a victim and then you've done something and suddenly you're you've got the full force of the criminal justice system upon you. And there's this whole thing of double deviance as well, where if you're a woman, um, you know, you're considered more deviant than a man who's committed the same offence.
0: So, so generally speaking, you feel that when a woman commits an offence, um, she's seen to be a worse offender than a man in the equivalent situation.
1: Yes, and, and, and generally will go to prison sooner and for longer than her male counterpart.
0: So, I mean, when women are in prison, um, many, many of them have children, they have families, um, you know, they're supposed to be at home looking after their children or working um, mothers, and, and yet they're incarcerated behind bars. I mean, how how does a woman who leaves children behind cope with being separated from their child or children and being locked up in a prison?
1: It is the most heartbreaking thing in the world. And I mean, those bonds take... My children are grown up now. They're 18 and 22, I think it is yeah. And And, you know, still we're repairing those bonds. And it's really, really hard. It's going to be a lifetime project for all of us. And if you look at statistics by, again, Lord Farmer's report, 37% of all women who go to prison lose everything. So that means you lose your home, your family, your possessions, your children, everything. Whereas when a man goes to prison, there's generally you know, a sister, a lover, a partner, a mother who will who will manage everything else who manage the children manage the home and only 1% of children out of the 17,300 children every year that are separated from their mothers because of because of imprisonment only 1% remain in the family home whereas you know if a man is sent to prison the children are much more likely to stay at home
0: what do you have to say about the quality of prison officers in women's prisons in this country
1: I th- you know, I think it's really hard to generalise. But having been a so-called service user, I would have to say that my relationships with most prison officers were pretty good. But you know, I've, I'm not a trouble. Well, I, I'm not. I don't create violence. I don't create you know tension in the prison for them. They hated that I would write other women's complaints. But that's a whole other story. But I think if we are going to take people who are not properly paid, you know, prison officers are frontline workers, they are they are first responders, they are the fourth emergency service, but they're not treated and they're not remunerated and they're not trained to be that, yet they're expected to take on not just the physical violence and all the horror that goes on in women's prisons, they're also expected then to take on all the vicarious trauma, you know, from seeing these, these desperately traumatised women being re-traumatised from what they as a system are having to do and there is no outlet for that i mean there's a young prison officer who was at downview who unlocked the women after lunchtime and she found someone hanging and she was expected to be back at work the next day. This twenty three year old woman who was a she's, she's an absolutely lovely woman. She was so traumatized to, to have to be back to work the next day. And she was often you know, she was sort of given a phone number and said, You can call this number or you can ask your GP to refer you for counselling. She was massively traumatized and we're expecting these young people to manage, you know, the, the, the complex needs of a very, very diverse and complicated prison population, so, so, so and I you, don't think it can happen.
0: So, are you saying that you do not believe that prison officers who operate in women's prisons are appropriately trained to deal with what are clearly, you know, the the mass conglomeration of complications that 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 that, that prisoners, you know, experience?
1: I think that's exactly right. And if you look at the numbers of suicides and self harm in women's prison, as well as The acts of violence against prison officers and prison officers on women you know it's the highest it's ever been so the women's estate is a tinderbox that's about to go off but the problem jeremy is that women don't complain because if we complain we think they're going to come down even harder on us and you know our whole lives we're told don't complain don't complain and so it turns inwards it turns into you know appalling self-harm it turns into suicide attempts it turns into violence and aggression against other prisoners but yeah, I think you've got it in a nutshell they're not properly trained and that is not their fault
0: yeah well it's not their fault but just before we move on to talk about about the view can, can you can, because you know I, I I do stress and say again I mean you you, you really are you know incredibly um, clear and lucid in the way you're you're helping us with these So I just want you to try and sort of conjure up the picture for us. I mean, you've said that, you know, a vast proportion of women who are in prison have psychological difficulties. And then on the other hand, we've got these young, inexperienced, perhaps ill-trained prison officers. I mean you know how does an inexperienced and or poorly trained prison officer deal with a female prisoner who is in prison who shouldn't be there who has mental health difficulties that that prison officer simply you know doesn't have the capacity to deal with i mean can you just kind of paint the picture of 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 of, of a meeting of the two and how how they deal with each other
1: i think it turns into um the kind of violence and control issues that we have at the moment so right now we're talking to women at hmp downview and also hmp newhall um, and other places you know they're locked up 24 hours a day they're not being let out for days on end they don't have soap they don't have hot water they don't have hand sanitizer they can't get out to have a shower four days on end. Who are they going to take that aggression out except who's in front of you, which is the prison officer? Prison governors don't patrol the the landings anymore. They're too scared. You know, they they don't want to be around this mess. So it's going to come out on prison officers. Who are they going to take it out on? They're going to take it out on the prisoners. So you've got this horrific, vicious cycle of anger and sort of depressed, um, I would call it anxiety and trauma. There's just so much trauma in the prison environment. You can actually feel it when you you know when you go in there and then what's desperately worrying is that these young prison officers then go out you know they go home at night and they're carrying all this trauma that they have no way that there is no secondary trauma or resilience training for prison officers so they're actually taking it out into the community and then shedding that trauma on their families on the community not in any kind of deliberate way but we've got to break the cycle we've got to stop incarcerating so many low-risk um, non-violent women, women in prison, and we have to, we have really have to start training prison officers so they much better understand, you know, psych- psychology and how to deal with yeah. complicated, vulnerable women.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you've made reference to um, the need not to imprison so many low-risk prisoners. Did mm. Did you experience much overcrowding when you were in prison?
1: So, in Bronzefield, cells that were single cells, designed originally as single cells when they got the contract. So, Bronzefield is a private prison in West London, uh, sort of borders of, of, uh, of uh, Middlesex. Um, those single cells were, um, now they, they've been doubled up. So, so, literally on top of the single bunk, you've got another bunk on top of it. So, two women are living and going to the toilet and washing and everything else in a space designed for one person. And similarly, um in rooms that were meant for two women, they're putting a third bunk in. So the overcrowding issue is massive. And if you look at it in the context of, of COVID nineteen, you know, one of the ways that it spreads is through um saliva and fecal droplets and stuff like that. So they're just becoming petri dishes of infection.
0: And and were you actually in prison at, uh, 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 for any part of the COVID-19 No, no, no,
1: no I, no, I yeah. wasn't, thank God, because it would have killed me. I mean, I have, my immune system is is really quite weak from having been in prison. I mean, the, the, the average life expectancy of a woman in prison in the UK is 47. Um, so, you know, immune systems get really depressed from lack of sunlight, from lack of exercise, from the appalling food that women are given. Um, you know, from lack of hygiene and cleanliness
0: and stuff. So, no, I think it would have killed me if I was. So amidst all of this, and it, and it sounds like there are, you know, many, many features of, 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 of prison life you've described, which are, you know, extremely unsatisfactory. How, how does uh, the concept of a prison magazine surface? I mean, was it you who sort of woke up one day and thought of the idea? Just tell us how it came about
1: um a lot of the women's prisons do have magazines already so drake hall has got one called take a drake um which is a play on the words you know take a break from the soap magazine and then um send had one um uh new hall had one so, so a lot of the women's prisons did have one and downview had one but it sort of died and then um they knew that i had a journalistic background and they and i was just completely bored and i think um, it came about because I was painting and drawing a lot. I mean, I learned to paint in prison. So for me, it was creativity. And women kept on coming to me to do their complaints. And it was the same things over and over. It was healthcare. It was, I'm not getting my post. It was, I'm not getting my visits with my children. And I thought a magazine would be a forum to um, highlight some of the same issues that we were all facing and kind of have a platform so that the governor and her team could deal with it. But and, it, I mean, it just sort of backfired because she didn't
0: like it. And the March 2020 edition of the View has mm. some incredible art in it. That all of those contributions come from from prisoners.
1: All of them, yeah. And,
0: and is that is that, to your knowledge, is is that um, a skill that they learn when they're in prison, or does some of them have that ha- have that ability before going to prison?
1: These are all prisoners that have learned um, to paint and draw in prison, which I mean to me is such a fantastic way of using that kind of dead time.
0: And and what else features in the view? I think you mentioned poetry.
1: Yeah, there's poetry. There's also quite a lot of case studies of women um, with mental health issues, and and particularly mental health and healthcare. So there, there's a case study of a woman who's got a parole board um, hearing coming up, and she's been told by the parole board, all right, look, we'll consider your parole seriously if you go on this ADHD medication and you can show that, you know, you can control your behavior. Go on it for a little bit, stabilize, and we'll give you another parole hearing on such and such date. So this woman is trying desperately to get her medication changed, which the parole board has ordered, which the psychiatrist has sanctioned, and she cannot get healthcare at Newhall to change it. So she's written about being really worried about having... um, a parole hearing coming up and obviously not being able to comply with what the with what the board has said through no reason of her own um and then there's another really harrowing case study of a woman called leanne um who talks about being imprisoned for um conspiracy to murder and she'd been a victim of domestic violence for a very long time and her brother killed her her partner And she got embroiled in this on the basis of a text message communication between herself and her brother and talks about how she's hearing voices in prison and how she's desperately asking for help from every single person that she sort of, you know, every organization, every prison officer, every mental health worker. And she's, she's seriously psychotic and is hearing these voices that are telling her to do bad things to herself and she's not getting any help. And, you know, those two case studies that's just two out of quite a few in there but those two to me they just really sort of hit home about how bad it really is you know being a woman in prison right now
0: yeah and, and and I mean in terms of the contributions that prisoners make I mean you've made reference to case studies we've we've touched on the question of art, poetry. I mean what all of this reveals is that there are many, many women in prison who clearly have, um, you know, tremendous ability and potential. I mean, to what degree would you say that ability and potential is brought out of women whilst they're in prison? Is it minimal? Is it is it is it significant? What, 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 it's
1: nothing, Jeremy, it's nothing. I mean, prison education contracts are a joke. They're just a tick box exercise so that the... You know, contractors like Western College and Milton Keynes College and whoever else can get their outcome payment. I was made to do the NVQ level one in English four times in 15 months. I don't need to be doing that, but it was only so that they could get their 400 pound or whatever is outcome payment. So so they only make you do they channel you into the route where they get their payments. Um, and and that whole thing needs to be reviewed because women's potential is not being unleashed. And you know we can gather a few women and make something so beautiful and so incredible and so powerful. Imagine what these women could do if if they were sort of just championed a little bit within the system, to say hey, you know what, you're great at art. Why don't you why don't you try this? But it, it just doesn't happen. And, and, art was the first thing to be cut.
0: And and when the concept of a prison magazine came about. I mean, how did prisoners on the whole respond? I mean, you know, was it was it a thing that was regarded as being geeky or or, or you know compelling? I mean, how how did they? The... Oh
1: no, it was fantastic! It was so great because initially they were like, "Oh my God, what are you on about now? What is this? What's this new thing you're starting?" And then you know when they would sort of come to you and say, "Look, I've written this little poem and it's it's kind of a bit silly, but have a look at it." and they all kind of wanted to contribute something and there's some lovely there's a lovely poem in there called movement by she's called herself marshmallow because she used to wear this fantastic you know pink foil Uh, puffer jacket and it really describes you know all of the underlying tension and and how it really is when there's movement you know within the prison day and so lots of the young women who who initially just sort of poo-pooed it kind of then ended up giving us really lovely drawings and poems and stuff and actually they were really proud of it and I know the feedback we're getting now from women in prison is that they are really really proud that they've contributed to something which is reaching people you know, outside of those four walls, because the uh, worst thing about prison is feeling isolated, that no one hears you and no one sees you.
0: And, and t- t- in, in terms of your uh, role um, as regards The View and generally, I mean, being someone who is obviously very well educated and, 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 and able to express themselves in such clear and graphic terms. I mean, w- did you find yourself were you able to get on with other prisoners?
1: Yeah, very well, actually. I, th- I think initially they just thought I was this sort of posh bitch. Excuse my language. But, um, yeah, you know, initially it was just like, oh, my God, you know, what's what's her story? Or they thought that I was a plant, that I was an officer who was in there to... Kind of find out where the shrugs were coming in or whatever but then when they saw that actually i'm a rebel and i didn't accept the status quo and i was constantly you know fighting the system for just silly things like an extra letter to be able to write home for women that have got children and stuff i think they really i think i think they understood that uh, uh, you know we we're, we were all in it together they are they are my sisters incarcerated i'm no different i'm not better i've just had a better education and more opportunities but you know, these are my sisters, and there is that kind of amazing bond that builds. Um, and I and I'm not in touch with a lot of the people that I was in prison with, but you know, I still think about them. And, and I, I mean, I hope I helped. I, I would get them their MPs' names and you know addresses and stuff. And I hope I hope that I helped uh, some and, of them in uh, some small way. And in
0: terms of the view, what 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 are your hopes for the view from here on in?
1: <clears throat> I. Hope that a lot more, um, a lot of the criminal justice and public law and prison law um, faculty are helping it. But something very practical that we're doing at the moment is, in uh, mid March, we wrote an open letter to the government asking for the immediate decarceration of women, in particular vulnerable women, and then uh, other other populations that were, um, you know, also vulnerable. Um, we were really encouraged by the initial kind of response where people started to get decarcerated um since then it's been very discouraging but we've actually taken on um, a couple of cases with public interest law center helen mallet there is fantastic and she's actually written to a couple of the governors um saying you need to release this woman on compassionate grounds because she has underlying issues and she will die and one of the governors written back saying, well, I need more time. So actually um, matrix chambers and public interest law center are going to bring what could be a test case for judicial review of um, the situation and the way that the government is dealing with COVID, particularly when it comes to women who've got, who are vulnerable and, and you know around compassionate release. So I see us expanding as a platform to raise the issues, to create, policy based on compassion and evidence and also to continue to give these women a voice.
0: If, if, if there was one thing you, you could change, if you had a magic wand and there was one thing you could change instantaneously about prison for women in this country, what what, what, what would it be?
1: Um, can I have two? Yeah, ones,
0: well, sure. you can certainly have two. You've got the magic wand. Okay. So, okay. so if so you, you get two, one, two out of it, that's, that's fine. One
1: is for women to have access to tablets so that they can Skype their children. Um, and, th- and there are ways to do this. Again, Lord Farmer, uh, you know this is one of his suggestions, that if a woman can maintain that contact with her children, the chances of that family bonding again when she's released are much greater rather than having to rely on, on prison phone calls, especially now when they're not even able to come out to make calls. And the other would be a call for every single prosecutor and every single judge who's got responsibility um to think about the public interest in sending in in first of all in the in the decision to charge but then also do i really need to send this woman to prison and just to remember i mean in their heart and in their mind that this woman is someone's mother she's she's someone's daughter she's someone's lover she's someone's aunt this is a this is a whole woman she's just not the sum total of the indictment you know piece of paper that's in front of them
0: Okay, well, can I say, Farah, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you and you've thrown light on so many features of prison life for women and also, you know, told us a great deal about The View. Um, I should just ask you, how can The View be accessed?
1: Well, unfortunately, because of this uh, lockdown situation, the only way to get it at the moment is um, by subscription on our website, which is theview.org.uk. Oh, sorry, theviewmag.org.uk.
0: Yeah. Okay. Say
1: that again. Um, the only way to get it at the moment is on our website, which is theviewmag.org.uk. All
0: right. Well, look, can I thank you very much indeed for your time. To wish you luck on a personal level, and also, you know, very best wishes for the future of, of the View, and hope to speak to you again very soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for shining a light yourselves on you know the darkest corners of what's going on. It's really important.
0: Thank you for listening. Join me again next time for another episode of Criminal Justice on trial. Please don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you heard, give us a good review. And if you have a story to tell, get in touch Tweet us at justice underscore on trial.